to another episode of Future Nation. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Where we speak with some of today's brightest innovators and explore the future of disruptive innovation. Let's go. Here's your host, Daniel Callow. Hello and welcome to Future Nation. I am your host, Daniel Callow. Today, I will be speaking with Heidi Holmes. Heidi's career began at KPMG, where over a seven-year period, she went from tax accounting to marketing manager and eventually leaving to pursue her new startup, AdAge, a mature age job board. It was during her time at AdAge when Heidi identified the benefits that P2P mentoring can have on both individual and organizational performance. In 2014, AdAge was successfully acquired by OneShift, and shortly after, Heidi joined forces with her co-founder and friend, Lucy Lloyd, to launch a software platform with a mission to make mentoring mainstream. Today, Heidi is the co-founder of MentorLoop, a software platform designed to help organizations run more effective mentoring programs for better engagement, retention, and productivity. I introduce to you Heidi Holmes. Hello, Heidi, and thank you very much for taking the time today to be on Future Nation. It's a pleasure, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Tell us a bit about your background, Heidi. Yes, so... Heidi Holmes, co-founder of MentorLoop, and it's been a bit of a journey to get here. But I guess for me as a teen, I always knew I wanted to run my own business. And so what I did throughout my career was in preparation for you know, being a co-founder of a company one day. And I guess that comes from growing up with parents that were in small business. Yeah. So always was in and around small business from a young age. And for me, the insights I saw from my dad was, you know, if you want to be the master of your own destiny, running your own business is a great way to do that. And so I left school and started my career at KPMG. Yeah. And the reason for that was, again, insight from my dad, if you want to run your own business one day, you need to know how to read the numbers and you need to know how to sell. Yeah. And so an accounting degree was kind of my first step into eventually uh, running my own business. Yeah. And so, yeah, started as a tax cadet at KPMG and worked there for a number of years. I guess through that experience, I got my first exposure around mentoring in the corporate world okay. um, or lack thereof, but it would be only after... Uh, my first venture that mentoring really came back on the agenda for me. Yeah. Okay. And where were you inspired to form Mentor Loop from KPMG? Yeah. So I left KPMG and actually my first startup was a business called AdAge, which was a job board for mature age workers. Okay. And I guess through that experience of having this community of over 30,000 job seekers, I saw that some people were keen to connect back into the community, but it wasn't just through employment. So they weren't financially motivated. They were just looking for a way to give back. Yeah. And so mentoring again came on the agenda. Uh, So this was back in sort of 2009 and, you know, it was a very different, I guess, scene in the startup world back in Melbourne then. It was emerging. It was as a solo founder of AdAge, I was working from home. I was doing it by myself. I'd bootstrapped and, it was a pretty lonely world for me. Yeah. And the business was sort of just ticking along. And I realized at that point that I needed help. And while I'm trying to, you know, set up this mentor program for my community of job seekers, at the same time, I'm thinking about personally, 
I'd love to be able to connect in with someone that has experience in running a business, yep. particularly an online business in this new world of tech and, you know, some guidance around what to do next. And so for me, I very clearly saw this problem in the market that there's people out there with this advice and skill set that are willing to give back, yeah. but there's no way to actually kind of connect in with that or know how to navigate through that unless you have those connections that exist already. And yeah. I sort of look back on my time at KPMG and I left after eight years of being there and I had a fabulous network, but I didn't need to talk to someone who was in professional services. I needed to talk to an entrepreneur, someone that had been there, done that. And I didn't know any of those people. They didn't exist in my network. So how do you build that network? And so as the story goes, my co-founder Lucy and I actually went to boarding school together. We're both from the country and uh, we're having a wine one night and I was sort of talking about, you know, I'd reached this roadblock with that age and, you know, but I, I think there's an opportunity around mentoring. Like, wouldn't it be great to like connect with this future version of yourself Lucy at the same time had just returned from London and was trying to sort of navigate her way back through the, you know, the local um, digital scene here and build up a network. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, wouldn't it be great if there was a dating site effectively where you could connect with that future version of yourself? And that effectively is, is how Mentor Loop was born. I love that concept. I love how you frame it as the future version of yourself. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't even have to be that big, but that's what mentorship meant for us at that point in time. Let's talk about internal culture. Tell me a bit about what are the issues that a lot of organizations, let's call it mid to large size organizations, what are they facing when it comes to internal culture? Yeah. I think for a long time, culture has been, you know, it's it's an intangible word. You know, it's hard to put your finger on exactly what culture is. Yeah. But I think what we've seen in the last 12 months, two years with things like the Royal Banking Commission and other bad behaviour at a corporate level is that culture is actually a thing and you can put your finger on it when things go wrong. Yeah. What's been harder for people to quantify is when things are going well. You know, how do you tie that back to culture? But culture is now increasingly a KPI that sits with C-level. So it sits with the CEO. You are responsible for your people, ensuring they're doing the right thing, but also that they're engaged and they're happy. Uh, I think we've seen a lot of um, come into play now where people are more aware about mental health in the workplace. That falls under culture, you know, but also the traditional things like engagement, productivity, you know, happy employees make for more engaged more motivated, more productive employees. So, you know, I think culture is becoming one of those things that people are sitting up and paying attention to and that it is important to have a people-first culture. Yeah. And for us, where mentoring intersects with that uh, is around how we create more effective organisations in terms of how connected people feel to the organisation, yeah. how engaged they feel in what they're doing uh, and how uh, – uh, I guess access to collaboration with their peers. Yeah. And for us, mentoring crosses all of those three um, vectors. Yeah. So when we talk employees, large organizations, we talk HR, don't we? And sometimes it's unfairly pinned on HR to bring the culture up to increase retention rates, yep. to increase loyalty to the company, to make sure that the, the mission statement is instilled in all the minds. And yes. I mean, the HR manager today has such a large world on their shoulders. Absolutely. How do you help them solve that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think HR is between a rock and a hard place sometimes because yeah. if you think about HR as a function within a business, it's often seen as a cost centre, not a profit centre. Yes. Um, they're often under-resourced, but yet they're in charge of looking after a company's most important asset. Yeah. So, you know, and I think, again, for, for HR, there's this layer of compliance that they're also responsible for. So yeah. often payroll fits in there, you know, um, crisis management as well. So they've got a lot on their plate. And then on top of that, they're now responsible for making sure everyone's having a nice time, you know, like, <laughs> and like, it's a, it's a hard job. Um, yeah. And they often don't have budgets for, yeah. for things. Um, yeah. So they're having to build business cases. There's a lot of work involved in them having to be proactive yeah. in implementing actual people strategy to move the needle on a business outcome that ties back to the bottom line. Yeah. So how are we going to have an impact on retention? Retention, that is a bloody hard thing to have impact on. Yeah. And it takes a long time. Yeah. So you need to have someone from the top buying into that to be able to fund it, to be able to resource it effectively and to buy in that vision so it ties back into the overall business objectives. And I think, you know, for HR, the problem they're facing is like it's all a bit too hard. Like, mm. you know, where do I start? And I don't want to be the one left holding the baby here if this doesn't work, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And I think there's this frustration and fear, I think, with HR managers around they've potentially been burnt in the past with, yeah. you know, there's been an engagement survey that's gone out. The people have said, we want more training. We want access to better employee benefits. And so they go and they set up an employee benefits scheme and then no one uses it. Yeah. And then it's like, well, you know, that's HR's problem. So there's a hesitation there from HR yeah. to want to maybe step outside the box and push people strategies that are innovative and that um, maybe something a bit different mm. um, because they're not necessarily going to get rewarded for that, yeah. but they may get, you know, reprimanded if it doesn't work out yeah. and reprimanded in the sense of we're cutting your budget, yep. et cetera. So, I mean, HR, in my opinion, would be that it's probably the most risk-adverse department in the organisation. It's almost that they're in a very compromised position. The person who's writing their paycheck, you know, <laughs> is the CFO often yeah. uh, within a corporate sense. The budget sits with obviously the CFO and that's yeah. who the head of HR might have to report into. Yeah. So they've got this obligation above them to the person who's paying their paycheck, but then they're also supposed to listen to the people at the coalface. So they're in a tricky situation and I think it's a role that is undervalued yep. and unappreciated. And the other challenge they also have in this day and age is that they're almost oversold to as well because there is a clear problem with retention in organisations, engagement. There mm. is becoming more of a willingness for people to want to try and solve for these problems. Yeah. That makes for a lot of noise. So now HR's like there's so many things I could be doing. Yeah. How do I know where to actually invest that I can actually have an impact here? I suppose cutting through all that and finding effective ways to get employees engaged would be awesome yeah. and having something out there and mentor loop champion the ideology of mentoring within organizations and the answers to the problems within an organization are inside the organization yes. and you've got to be able to match the right people. So how do you match the right people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's an interesting point, you know, like, um, 
I think organizations underestimate the latent knowledge that they have sitting within their business. Yeah. And that is what Mentor Loop's all about. We talk about unlocking that latent demand for mentoring, but yeah. also unlocking that latent talent you have within your business. Yeah. I think people have this perception that a mentor needs to be somebody with 20 years experience. Yeah. And, you know, three degrees and, you know, yeah. the wisdom within the business. That may have been true 20 years ago, but anyone could be a mentor in this day and age because a lot of people have self-taught themselves things. They've got specific domain knowledge about something. Yeah. And we always talk about even as startup founders, like some of the most impactful mentors we've had are those that are just a few years ahead of us because they're able to provide really relevant, pertinent advice. Yeah. And so when we think about what is the perfect match, we have the term, it's actually the unlikely match that you think is often the best. Wow. Because, you know, it's about challenging perceptions and there is this perception that hierarchical mentoring is how you are able to sort of gain traction in your career. Yep. But I think careers are very different these days to what they were as I said, 20 years ago, you're not going to stay at the same job or employer for the next potentially two, five, 10 years. Yeah. And so finding a mentor is about getting from point A to point B rather yeah. than A to Z. Yeah. And if we think about mentorship like that, then mentoring becomes much more accessible to more people. Yeah. Because there's only so many people at sea level out there. That's there's right. only so many people with 10 plus years experience that are willing to mentor you. Yeah. But there's a whole lot more people at that sub five year level experience yeah. that are a great fit in terms of uh, a possible mentor match. And so for us, we use a very goal centric approach to matching, which is around what are the skills you're looking to improve or enhance and what's the overarching goal you're looking to achieve here. Yeah. So is it around internal career promotion? Is it around upskilling in a completely different area? Is it around building confidence, communication skills, those sorts of things? And that's for us uh, what we use to drive our matching algorithm. Yeah, wow. Can you tell us a bit about some clients that have implemented mentoring programs and maybe the success they've gotten? Sure. I, I mean, I think it's important. We didn't invent mentoring. Mentoring has been around a long time and we work with some great global businesses. But I think if we look to, you know, who's out there doing mentoring and doing it well and always has, they're often the companies that are put up there on a pedestal. It's Google's, yeah. it's the Facebook's. Yeah. They just do it. It is a part of their culture. It is expected and it happens. Yeah. Where we come into play and working with some organizations, I guess, they have the aspiration to be those companies where they want to be doing people initiatives that actually align with what people want to be doing yep. and how they want to be engaging with their peers. And mentoring in that sense does become much more of an organic thing. Yeah. And so while we put some structure around it, it is always about how do we bring people in off the sidelines within your business. Uh, and so this is not just something we're rolling out in Australia like, Mentor Loop has been global from day one. We've yeah. got clients in the US, yeah. in Canada, in Europe. We're opening up an office in the UK, um, start of September. So we're expanding into new markets. We've recently translated the app into simplified Chinese. It's not just a Western world thing anymore. Yeah. Mentoring is seen as very much a strategic tool to bring your people closer together to influence more productive outcomes and transfer knowledge within your business. Yeah, well, and you mentioned this amazing growth in the past couple of years and to date you've raised probably close to $2 million, is that correct? 
Yeah, so just under two across three rounds. Yeah. Um, and, you know, started with the traditional friends and family. Yeah. I guess, well, we started as a bootstrapped company. So yeah. it was actually loose, Lucy and my money in first, uh, then a friends and family. And then um, after completing Startmate Accelerator, which would be one of Australia's best accelerator programs, yeah. uh, we were able to secure funding from Blackbird. Uh, again, one of probably Australia's, you know, top three venture capital firms, uh, yeah. Rampersand here in Melbourne, yeah. who are awesome, and also Tempest Partners up in Sydney who have been so supportive as well. Yeah, excellent. And how was that process? A lot of people say they learn from raising <laughs> capital. Yeah, like it's not something that came natural to Luce and I. I mean, until you've done it. Yeah. I don't think anyone really knows what they're doing. Maybe maybe some people are a bit more prepared than we were. I guess one of the biggest mistakes we made is that we've probably come into it thinking every round was the last one. And it's not that we intentionally had that on our minds. It's just we didn't plan for what the next two or three rounds looked like. Yeah. It was just like, oh, we're doing this round. Let's get it closed and then yeah. we'll do another round and something else will flow on from that. Yeah. So I think, you know, if I was to do it again, I'd probably map out what prospective rounds looked like and what growth we'd want to have in between those rounds. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those learning experiences that you kind of don't know what you don't know. <laughs> no, that's right. And you've got to go through it and you come out different on the other end and it's a form of growing up within your company and that's what it's all about. Yeah. And I mean, for us, I think it's been a relatively positive experience. Like we've been dealing with some of the best VCs in Australia. So they're very professional. Yeah. They put their founders first. Yeah. Um, and I think what we've, you know, underestimated in the process, but a very appreciative post-process is the access to the network. So almost to bring it back to the mentoring piece, you know, for us, it wasn't just about the financial capital, but access to the knowledge capital that exists across their portfolio companies. Okay. Uh, particularly Blackbird have a value and a philosophy of founders helping founders. And it's a value that is truly lived within that network. So I can go and have a conversation with one of the founders of Baraja who are doing LiDAR technology. I don't even know what that is about. It's something to do with driverless cars. But I can go and have a chat to Fed about, you know, yeah. something if it was going to be useful to my business. Um, yeah. You know, we've been able to connect in with CultureAmp who are, a, you know, another HR local tech um I wouldn't say startup, but success story. You know, yeah. they're a global company. They've kind of been almost a big brother to us and have been yeah. so supportive along the way. So I think what people just look to is, yeah, the financial capital, but actually what's really valuable is the network. Um, yeah, that brain's trust. Yeah, and just quality people. Yeah. And quality people want to help other people. I think that's something in terms of mentoring that's underestimated as well. Like people think, oh, that person wouldn't want to help me. They'll be too busy. Yeah. But it's often the really busy people that do want to get involved and give back and help out because they were there once too. Yeah. Everyone, I think when given the opportunity, wants to help and wants to see things around them get better. Well, we surveyed uh, through the Startmate Accelerator program, you know, that's underpinned by a strong mentoring uh, network yeah. for the founders that go through that program. And we surveyed the mentors after that, after we had that experience. And there's some really interesting feedback, like from the mentors around why they do it. And I yeah. think people often think with mentoring that it's about, you know, it's coming from a place of altruism, you know, it's about giving back yeah. and all of that. And look, that's nice, but 
that's not enough to get someone to do it. Like I yeah. think we need to look at mentorship as a two-way value prop here as well. And what was interesting in the feedback that we got from these mentors is uh, one that I remember vividly was a guy saying, why I love mentoring is that I see myself sitting there giving this advice and then think, oh, shit, I need to be doing that in my business. (laughs) (laughs) Practice what you preach. Yeah, yeah. So it was this kind of this, you know, um, truth check or like, you know, it just kept – it keeps you in check too yeah. because you do hear yourself saying things that yeah. you've learned. Yes. And then you're like, I actually need to go back and do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes you need to physically vocalise something and then you realise, well, hold on a sec, yeah, I'm not quite doing it myself. Yeah. So Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> better get into gear and do it. Most organisations would like to think they're putting their people first and sure. let's just say that they are in the ways that they understand. But if the Googles and the Facebooks and the Amazons of the world are using these cutting edge techniques, implementing mentorship within organisations, is it fair to say that if the incumbent players at the moment in their respective fields don't do that, does that mean that they could potentially lose their staff? Yeah, I think I sort of touched on this before. I mean, we're in a very different space to what we were 20 years ago. And I think access to education, technology, online courses, you know, people that are motivated are able to proactively go out and seek whatever they need at a point in time. Yeah. So they're taking more responsibility for their own professional development. Yeah. And I think those companies have woken up to the fact that if they don't offer access to professional development, they're going to go and seek it somewhere else. Yeah. Like it's just expected. And I think they see that mentoring sort of underpins a lot of those more formal things that you could be investing in. Yeah. So a coaching program or access to training. Yeah. I think mentorship comes in to give some context out of these more formal learning pathways. Yeah. Whereas a mentor can actually talk through how you practically implement some of these things you've learned or want to do in the future and be that Sherpa. Yeah. that you need to help navigate those pathways. So what's the worst that could happen if an organisation sort of ignored mentoring and didn't have a scalable solution for peer-to-peer mentoring? Yeah, I think mentoring is sort of seen as this nice to have for a lot of people. And, you know, maybe if you didn't implement mentoring tomorrow, you could just continue it where you're at. Yeah. But I think if you really want to move the needle on how engaged your employees are and how productive they are, you're going to struggle to find a more efficient and effective way to do that at scale than mentoring. Yeah. Like training's very expensive. Yes. Coaching's very expensive. Yeah. Mentoring, you are tapping into resources that already exist within your business. Yeah. And you're redeploying that. Yeah. Uh, into areas that require it. So if you think about it from that commercial perspective, it's a very cheap way to deploy capital knowledge within your business. Yeah. And I think that's very hard to do at scale to actually have measurable impact where mentoring is tied back to, you know, over time resulting in up to 25% uplift in retention yep. for companies. Yeah. Um, it's resulted in a boost of women in leadership into companies and women staying longer at companies. So, you know, there are actual tangible metrics to point to where mentoring's had a real impact. But what I think is really powerful about mentoring and why people should be thinking about it is that this is something that is relevant to all your people within the business 
and accessible yeah. for all your people within your business at a very affordable cost. Yeah. And there's not too many things that tick all those three boxes. And I mean, having everyone engaged with each other in such a cross matrix way would improve retention because of sense of ownership that people have. Oh, absolutely. I, I think back to my time at KPMG and I started there as a tax cadet. Um, yeah. You know, I looked around me and I saw mentoring happening, but you had to be tapped on the shoulder. You know, it was kind of <laughs> the a chosen very, one. <laughs> yeah, you had to be the chosen one. Yeah. And it was a very exclusive way to approach mentoring. And it was often reserved for the special few. Yeah. And like our argument at Mentor Loop is, you know, that's fine. Mentoring is for all, but we would argue that those people are already optimized. Yeah. They're already doing it. Yeah. So you're not going to squeeze more out of the lemon by focusing on your high potentials. Yeah. How you're going to get real productivity gains and real change on these big metrics that sit at sea level, like retention, engagement, is through something that is actually meaningful and accessible to all your people. Yeah. And so if I think back to my time at KPMG, I was a very motivated and, you know, fairly outgoing person, but it was still an awkward world for me to navigate to think about who could be my mentor. I had no visibility of who was willing to be a mentor. I had actually a very wrong idea of who would be the best mentor for me. I just thought it would be a partner. Yeah. And I mean, then I'm left as an 18-year-old cadet going to have an awkward conversation with a partner to be my mentor. Like it's just all wrong. And so people need help with this and uh, we also need to get people thinking about that it doesn't have to play out in one certain scenario and that is, you know, the senior leader mentoring the, the junior burger kind of thing. Yeah, interesting you say that. Actually, you mentioned something in there that the people that receive mentorship in those larger organisations are the ones that probably need it the least. Yeah. Reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you've read the book Outliers. No. <laughs> okay. But I've been told I should. You should read it. But uh, the whole book is based on the premise that the better will get better because they're the ones that stand out and they're the ones that receive more of the benefits. And I love how Mentor Loop democratizes that system and provides equal benefits to everybody because in an organization, you don't want one or two outliers to succeed. You want your whole organization to succeed. Yeah. That's so important because your outlier could leave and then there's 80% of your talent or 20% of your talent or whatever it is. So you need to make sure that everyone is boosted up and give everyone the opportunity to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, like, you know, people use the term reverse mentoring as well and and a very simple example of, you know, the CEO not having great digital literacy, so hook them up with a grad and they'll show them how to use. I mean, that's a cute example, but I don't personally like the term reverse mentoring. We kind of talk about reciprocal mentoring. Yes. Because it's not about just this one way of a value exchange. It is a very much a reciprocal relationship when you get the match right, there's an opportunity for you to learn from somebody else. Because yeah. in this day and age, you don't know what people know, you yeah. know, uh, and where their interests are that um, it could be incredibly valuable for you to have that insight. Even insight because it's a new part of the business or maybe they're um, of a certain, uh, they're, you know, they're client facing. So they've got insight that they can offer to you and you're in marketing that gives you a new perspective yeah. on what's happening at the coalface. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, it doesn't again need to be thought about as just a one way value exchange. And I think that's the real benefit for a company. Yeah. 
And do you have any examples of success stories with organizations that have deployed a program, let's say, and had some sort of result? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I guess when clients come to us, we're very keen to always talk about why you're doing this. Yeah. It's understanding what's the driver bringing you to want to implement a mentoring program. Yeah. And it's generally one of a couple of things, which is, you know, improve learning and development outcomes, increase engagement, or improve a diversity and inclusion outcome. Yeah. I think one that sort of talks to two of those things is a company we work with, which is called Out for Australia, yeah. which is a network for LGBTQI plus professionals who work at, you know, Baker McKenzie, Deloitte, yeah. Macquarie Bank, you know, they're working at ASX listed companies. But what's interesting about this particular program is there's an element of role modeling to it as well. So it's about connecting with somebody that identifies the same as you, because you want to actually hear from somebody that has walked in these same shoes that you're about to walk in. Yes, definitely. Because a pathway to partner for somebody that might identify as gay or lesbian is very different for, you know, a heterosexual white male. Yes. So that's been really interesting to see the level of engagement with that program and the impact it's made has been largely around confidence for people and then an appreciation that their company has allowed them to participate and funded them in this program. Yeah. And so uh, an increase in tenure at that organization and ultimately greater representation of that group within leadership positions. The future of work, it's all changing. The way we work today is not going to be the same way we work in 10 years. We're seeing a lot more remote working and different analysts from over the world have quoted different figures, but a lot are saying that half of the full-time workforce will be projected to be remote employees by 2020. Oh, it makes me shudder. (laughs) (laughs) This to me would say mentoring has never been so important, Yeah, particularly if you've got a remote employee who's only in the office for two days a week. Yes. And needs maybe the motivation, maybe the guidance. So programs like this should be part of every organization that has remote employees. Absolutely. I mean, we're just going through mapping out our own remote work policy. We've now got an engineer in Bali. We're about to, you know, set up the office in the UK. Yeah. Uh, And we have a full flex working policy where people are able to work from home when they need to. So, you know, as a founder, I'm sort of coming to terms with, this mm. and how we still maintain a workforce where we're communicating with each other, yeah. we're sharing knowledge, we're being collaborative because we've got a lot of problems still to solve and the best way to do that is still in a team environment. So how do you keep those magic moments happening? Yeah. And I think very much this is where mentoring has a role to play in the future, absolutely. Yeah. Where we are, I guess, seeing more and more conversations at a client level happening for us is where there's globally dispersed workforces. Yeah. And this is across non-for-profits. It's across community groups. It's across large corporates. Like no one's immune from this. If mm-hmm. you want to hire the best people in the future, there's an element of people now expecting to be able to work remote or at least from home. So yeah. getting more comfortable with that 
I think even mentoring is one of those things that can just be a bit of a stopgap in the mean. Like you feel yeah. like you've got some control, they've got some guidance, there's something in place to make sure we're all on track here with this. Yeah. But I think more practically, it's a way that you can ensure there's an appropriate flow of information almost at an internal comms level as well to ensure that transfer of culture when okay. people aren't in the office yep. around expectations, how we work what it means to be employee at this company. You know, mentorship is when you've got a one-on-one relationship, that's where you can impart some of those soft skills as well. Yeah. What do you think the future is going to hold for the workforce and mentorship? Where do you think it's going to be in 10 years? Daniel, I'm I'm, I'm old. (laughs) I'm at the end of this. I'm not thinking about 10 years ahead. We talk about mentoring having a bit of a renaissance because it is – been this period of disconnect. Yeah. So we talk in uh, a lot about, you know, the future being about old-fashioned human reconnection. Yeah. People, I think now, I think this has started, but I think in the future there is a desire to connect back to your tribe. Yeah. Uh, tribe could be anything though. Like it could be, you know, your community and where you live. Yeah. It could be who you interact with at work. It could be things that you just have an insane amount of passion about, whether it's knitting or soccer or whatever. Yeah. And I think this is why we've seen the new type of membership groups pop up that are outside industry bodies. So, you know, I think 10, 20 years ago, it was about the CPAs, sort of these industry bodies that were tied to your professional qualification. Yeah. But now there's these membership groups that are tied to how you identify almost. Yeah. So like the business chicks of the world, there's the CUB, there's the Entrepreneurs Club. Yeah. There's space for people to connect with people that share a similar interest or that they find interesting but people want to get a bit of that human connection back in their lives because tech's just been taking it away and I think if we talk about the future of work I don't really know I don't think anyone knows but one thing I keep hearing is that it is going to be a different set of skill sets that are required And that is that what's going to be required is actually more on the soft skills side of things. So how people, you know, what robots can't can't do is empathise. Yeah. They can't. Not yet. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) They might do a better job than people in the future. That's true. But so I think, again, the role for mentoring is only going to become more important because, you know, there's basic skills that are just being lost through tech that mentoring can help bring back some of those softer skills just in how you communicate with your fellow human being. Mentoring doesn't have to be tied back to all these hard metrics around skills uplift and retention and, you know, how are you becoming a better, more productive performer. It can be really simple around improving people's confidence, improving how they communicate. But this has a flow-on effect to then how people work in a team, how people think, how people bring problem-solving skills to a group to be able to interact in a productive way with their peers. Like it still has a commercial knock-on effect, but it's bringing it back to a really simple level. Yeah, definitely. You raise a lot of valid points there. It's the soft skills, even though Mentor Loop is technically a technology company. Well, we say we're a tech company putting the skills back into people's hands. We're just, you know, we're an enabler. So using tech to solve what tech has created. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Excellent. Love it. (laughs) 
I think there's this uncertainty in the world. Um, you know, one of our clients is an insurance agency and they're using mentoring to upskill their customer service arm of the business because previously incoming inquiries or claims were around, you know, physical injuries in the workplace. Now what they're seeing is an increase in mental health-related claims. And so they've had to upskill their workers, their workforce, to be more in tune with their EQ in dealing with this new type of claim. But on the same time, the increase in, I guess, claims around mental health is that there's this movement of people feeling unhappy, extremely stressed at work. There's a lot of pressure on people, a cost of living rising, like how, you know, there's a lot of social media expectations people feel they have to live up to. I think we're probably at a point where we've never been more unhappy. Yeah, okay. And so I think mentoring beyond even the soft skills has a place to potentially in the future. I don't want to say play a role of you know, it's not about counselling yeah. as well. Emp- Empathising. Like you said yeah. before, it's that empathy. I think it's sometimes just, you know, people feel like they've got someone they can talk to. Yeah. Yeah. People just want to say it. They don't want to post about it and they yeah. don't want to email it. They just want to talk about it. Yeah. That can be the solution, regular talking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and to have that internally within your organisation rather than externally is a huge benefit. Yeah, I don't think people necessarily build a trusting relationship with their manager. Yeah. But you can build a trusting relationship with your mentor. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Heidi, who is your mentor? Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, good question. I don't have one because I don't need one. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the enlightened one. No. So um, anyone that says they've never had a mentor is just lying, yeah. I think. Like, you know, no one is – to think anyone is self-made is just bullshit. Yeah. So I've had many mentors in my life. And I sort of look at my network now as that I'm building out this personal advisory board of mentors. So it's not one person that I go to for every single piece of advice. Yeah. But I've been fortunate now that I've been in this world of startups for, you know, 10 years. Yeah. Over that time, I've been able to kind of meet people and then engage with people in a more formal capacity through simply having this benefit of having access to this network. So I've been very fortunate. Yeah. And so my mentors consist of people I've interacted with at KPMG through AdAge and through Startmate. Yeah. There are other founders in there as well. I have a mentor in the UK who is heading up a UK business because that's someone I brought into my network at the start of this year because we're about to go and do that. Yeah. So it's a revolving door. And then there's some people that we've just gone, we've slowly kind of disconnected as well because it doesn't make sense. We still might be friendly or whatever, but it doesn't, you don't need to keep these relationships going forever as well. Yeah. I probably have one person that I'm sort of regularly turning to and I've had in my corner for four or five years now. Yeah. So that's important to have that, definitely. I think so because just over time they know you. Yeah. So it's more around you're going to that person around, oh, maybe I've got these two ways I could play this. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Or, you know, what do you think's right for me at this point? Yeah. That's where that sort of person's good. Yeah. But, you know, obviously about the UK expansion, it was about getting a very strategic mentor that had mm. done that. Whereas, you know, the mentor that I've known for now four or five years doesn't necessarily have that insight. Yeah. So limited relevance, yeah. you know. So having a range of mentors is an interesting concept. 
Yeah, we definitely talk about, you know, there's not one mentor who's going to be the silver bullet to all your questions or problems. It is about building out almost like a mini advisory board. Yeah. But, you know, that's a big leap for some people. Yeah. So just start with one and think about what's the burning goal or task that you're looking to achieve in the next 12 months. Yeah. It doesn't have to be five years. No one knows where they're going to be in five years. And even if you say you want to be somewhere in five years, you probably won't be there in five years. So just like make it smaller. Yeah. And I think if you think about something you're really looking to zone in on, it gives you a clearer pitch to be going and asking someone to help with you. They understand the why. Yeah. If you're just connecting with someone because you think they're cool or because they've been really successful, those people are probably getting approached all the time. Yeah. But also it's just kind of hard for them to think what's in it for me here. Yeah. There has to be an exchange of value yeah. in order for it to be sustainable. Yeah, and it's just for them to feel like they actually can help. What a good mentor doesn't want to do is sit down with you and just tell their story. Yeah. I mean, that's nice, but you could probably go and read about it somewhere anyway. Yeah, exactly. They want to sit down and listen, and then they want to use their experience to pull out something that's going to help you. Yeah. Maybe to steer you in a different direction. Yeah. It's about bite-sized pieces of advice and actionable advice rather than broadcasting life stories. Yeah, which is available publicly and of little value. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, if they're a good mentor, they won't enjoy doing that. It's about something that should be able to be had in a 30-minute conversation. Yeah. And that's just the day and age we live in. People are time poor still. Yeah. People are generally happy to give back and help but they're time poor, so you've still got to be respectful of the mentor's time yeah. and having a very clear brief around why you think they're the right person for you and why specifically their experience is going to be able to help you do X Yeah, just narrows that brief and makes it very difficult for them to say no Yeah, because you just look super prepared and organized and if I give you this advice, you're probably going to go and do something with it, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. Definitely. And what about yourself? Have you got a book that has inspired you or a book that you could recommend for us? (laughs) Look, I do have to be honest. My team were teasing me before I came here because I said I had to recommend a book. So I looked up books on Google. (laughs) Well, that's one Uh, way to do it. It is book week this week. So I was thinking about what (laughs) my children are reading at the moment. But no, then I reflected at the start of this year, I actually read a book. Didn't read the whole thing, but skimmed through it called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. And the reason I started reading this book and I was attracted to it when I don't read a lot of nonfiction is we have grown in three years from a founding team of two to now 13 people. We'll probably be 15 by the end of the year. We've got the UK office happening next year. And I was like, we're moving from a team that you can kind of almost just sort of feel your way through the people management stuff. Yeah. And at a size of 13, you don't have to worry about silos forming. Like we're still pretty small enough where everyone can still understand where everyone's at and there's still good communication. But as we grow, what have other successful high-performing companies done in terms of not only culture but managing teams? And so I'm interested in teams as opposed to individuals as well as a founder and how we structure teams to be productive. Because again, coming back to innovation and collaboration, you know, it is about people working together to solve a problem. Yeah. And we need to be making sure we build teams that can be efficient in isolation, but also then across the group. 
Yeah. So that's a really interesting book because it also looks at companies that have been around a long time and have mastered this over time. And then it looks at some of the new tech companies and what they've done a bit differently. Yeah. And it also, I guess, looks at humans over time and how effective, like children naturally, we're actually really good at this at a young age. And then we get worse at it as we get older. Yeah. So it's just really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that recommendation. Yeah. The other one that's an oldie but a goodie is um, the hard thing about hard things. But ah, yes. That probably features high on the recommendation list. Yes. All right, Heidi. Well, that's the end of our episode today. Once again, thank you very much for taking the time today to share with us your journey of Mentor Loop and your experience. Well, thank you very much for having me, Daniel. I've really enjoyed it. Hope it's been useful to the listeners. We are always looking for innovative and interesting people to be on our show. If you or someone you know would like to share their experience and be a featured guest on Future Nation, head on over to futurenation.co and click on apply to be a guest. If you like this episode, please subscribe to receive future episodes as they are released. Once again, thank you for listening to Future Nation. Thank you for listening to Future Nation. Hey, no problem, buddy. Head on over to futurenation.co. What for? For show notes and more. Oh, and don't forget to share and subscribe.